a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is a program that does not presume to tell you what to think, but instead encourages you to think as clearly and independently as possible. It's all the more important because we live in times of overlapping crises. And I have a very special guest I'd like to introduce you to today. I'm happy to welcome Andrew Coppins to the show. And Andrew, I know that you are the host of a, a very popular podcast yourself, but also you work with, with one of my former compadres, uh, uh, Patrick Oney. And, and that to me speaks very well of you because I think the world of Pat... For the sake of my audience members meeting you for the first time, tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, obviously, I'm Andrew Coppins. I'm the host of the daily show Critical Thinking, formerly on Mojo 5 Radio. We we branched out on our own um, in April. Um, so, yeah, we have the daily podcast. Um, we try to do it in 45 minutes to an hour, uh, just critically thinking through the news and views. And, and we try not to – we come with a worldview, right? But we try not to – presuppose that our worldview is correct. And and we really try to think through the news and, and what people from both sides or all sides might be thinking about it. And um, that's kind of where that uh, whole idea of reviving liberty um, has come from. Um, we just started a brand new podcast uh, called Reviving Liberty. And it, it's not meant to be a daily show or, or anything like that. This is really a, a, a project, a manifesto, if you will, um, my manifesto to liberty and, and how to take timeless ideas and, and move them into the future. And um, that's really where we're going with this podcast. And, and Pat is helping out behind the scenes there, um, but you'll hear my voice uh, on that alone. Um, but yeah, who I am, I grew up um, as somebody who would get up at 5 a.m., watch the news and, and do all, like all those weird things, right? Like that is, that is totally dorky and not normal. Like I remember the Berlin wall falling. I remember um, the, the end of the, the Soviet union because I was watching it. I, I was always up early as a kid. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of where I come from. I come from a world of uh, being involved in politics at an early age and, and paying attention to the news at an early age. Um, I come at the world from a much more libertarian viewpoint than than conservative, um, but I, I kind of cut my teeth on conservatism, and it was really around 2003, four where uh, that worldview changed a little bit into focusing on liberty and freedom and, and maximizing that, but also realizing that there's also maximum personal responsibility. And um, yeah, so beyond that, I'm a real estate agent here in, in Illinois, and and I've worn many hats in my life, let's just say that. Sounds like you and I have had a, a somewhat similar life track and, and an ideological track as well. Um, I Look, I cut my teeth on conservatism too, the heyday of Rush Limbaugh and red meat throwing. And man, you can build a fantastic audience by throwing red meat. But there came a point, and for me, it was uh, basically it was the Iraq War, where I went, whoa, I'm really good at getting people riled up, but I don't know if I'm doing any good. And that started to shift towards more. What can we do? And I love that with Reviving Liberty, this is something that you're, you're tackling a question I know a lot of people are asking. 
I think you're you're approaching this question, though, from a much more informed, much more productive way. For instance, if someone poses the question, okay, how do we fix what's going wrong, particularly are eroding liberties? What are some of the more common answers that you're going to get from people? Well, you, you have to go back to the founding fathers, right? You have to go backwards. You have to uh, talk about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What does all of that mean? Right. You can. So many people are talking platitudes. They're, they're talking about the GOP. We, we have to elect the GOP. And, and in order to do that, give them the power and things will change. Um, I find that argument to be false on its premises um, because we've seen it. We've seen them over our lifetimes, especially over the last 25 ish years take more and more and more and more and more power, whether that's from the state level, whether that's the local level, whether that is the federal level. We have seen them just give us more power and then just give us the courts and then this and then that. At what point in time have you had enough power to do what you And, and I haven't seen that. Um, and, and that's kind of where I was like, wait a second. Do, they, do we understand what liberty is about? Yeah, I, I look at the I look at some of the material that Pat sent me about your your project reviving liberty, and it's very clear to me. This is not about fixing blame. This is not about um, you know trying to to pin this on. So it's not enemy driven thinking, which unfortunately seems to describe most of the thinking that, that's going on. Well, we either need to vote more this way, or we need to protest, or we need to uh, you know have civil disobedience. I love the approach that you're taking, and, I, and I'd like to explore. At the top of the list, if we really want to see a fundamental change, what's the first thing that has to happen at the individual level? It's actually the very first thing that we did on the path I am taking you down in reviving liberty, and it's rooting ourselves in God. And I know a lot of libertarians are going to uh, bucket that idea, but the, the crux of liberty has always been natural law, natural rights. Where do those things come from? Whether you happen to believe in God or not, the recognition that natural law comes from God's law, that is the, the fundamental thing that we have to understand. And as a society, when I look at this, where we are culturally, academically, where we're at in almost every aspect of our society, you see it kind of rotting from the inside. And my argument is, if you want to fix it, you can't go to the GOP. You can't go elsewhere. You are the answer. You start it. So root yourself in God because we see it inside the church. And, and I don't know what faith you are. I am Catholic. And, and I see the rot inside the Catholic church. So where do you go? The answer is yourself. Root yourself in God. Have a personal relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. Get rooted in that. Once you personally do that and, and you see that positivity in your life, my argument is that others around you will be affected by that. And, and it might be difficult. It might be hard to do, especially in a society that is antithetical to a God-driven life. But I, I look at it from that perspective, and, and you can't get more libertarian than looking at yourself and deciding for yourself what you want to do. And I think rooting yourself in God is a great place to start a discussion or a mindset of liberty um, because we, we have that blueprint from our founders. Whether you, know, you like it or not, the reality of all of our founding principles in this country, the ideal of liberty has been what? 
rooted in God. Now, you can't I'm, get away from it. I'm with you on this. And, and I, I know there are people who will try to deflect, well, you guys are talking about some kind of, you know, theoconservatism or something. They can call it whatever they want, but it's very clear. The founding generation had moral clarity because, among other things, they believed our rights come from God, and, and it gave them the moral clarity to know when to draw the line, when to stand up, and when to assert those rights and withdraw their consent from King George and, and to govern themselves. Not so they could just be lawless, but so they could govern themselves as they believed God wanted them to govern themselves. Absolutely, and there's a really great antidote about this in the 1840s. There was a historian who was talking to a group of, of um, American Revolution veterans, and they just put it this simply. We were always meant to govern ourselves. They meant that we weren't, so we fought. This was natural to them. This is something that was ingrained into them because it was natural law. There wasn't a question about it. It's because there was a personal. I'm not saying the state has to do anything. I'm talking about you as an individual and, and having that relationship and rooting yourself in God. And if you choose not to, that's fine. But I would recognize then that you need to understand where your morality comes from, right? Where If, if we have no morality, no guideposts, no nothing, liberty doesn't exist. Subjugation exists, whether you like that or not. I love it. Now, we're coming up on our break. we got about a minute to go here. But when we come back, I want to walk through some of the other points of, of the principles that, that you outline in Reviving Liberty. Before we go there, I want to, to give my listeners a chance to, to follow up on this themselves. You have a website that they could access. What would that be? Yeah, they can go to revivingliberty.com to check that out. Um, they can always go on social media. I'm at the Coppins Show. Um, but yeah, Reviving Liberty, you'll get um, every episode. Um, it drops on Tuesdays. Um, usually around 10 o'clock a.m. Central Time. Um, But yeah, on Tuesdays, wherever you find your podcast at and revivingliberty.com. Okay, I will include a link in the show notes, which I publish with with each episode of my own show. Again, I'm talking with Andrew Coppins, and he is uh, he's a brilliant podcaster in his own right, but I really like this project that you're doing, Andrew, and and I'm excited for the possibility of getting people... um, off their their fannies and and you know a, a sense of direction i know some people are just waiting to see someone what direction are you going i think this may be a productive one we will take a very quick time out we'll be back just the other side of this commercial break stay with us please this is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. I am visiting with Andrew Coppins today. Andrew is the host of a new podcast that I really think you should check out, and it's called Reviving Liberty. And Andrew, you were walking us through some of the principles and some of the practices that uh, that people will need to get their minds around. I like this because it's not rooted in let's get out there and take it to the streets and let's 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 uh, go commit civil disobedience or let's just vote harder. Uh, you you start with personal responsibility. I think that's where real effective change starts. We talked about rooting ourselves in God. Tell me about shining a light on the spirit of the age. What does that mean? 
Yeah, I think it's very simple. It is take your platform, whatever that platform is, whether that's around the kitchen table or you know around the dinner table or within your church, within whatever community you have, and using your voice, shine a light, whether that's on your Twitter feed or whatever have you. Let the let the the evilness, let the spirit of the ages I talk about, um, let that light shine. And don't you don't need to do anything. Just expose it, because the vast majority of the American population, whether they are committed to liberty and they think through it every single day, like I do or like you do, um, whether or not they do that, the vast majority of people see the the things that are going on and think it's nuts. So just expose it, and you know I really talk about that how. Jesus Christ, if you look at the gospel, what did he do to the vast majority of the sinners? He exposed it and then asked for repentance. And when we look at the the teachings of the Bible, right, how can we take Jesus Christ's teachings and, and apply it to liberty? Well, you will you allow those people who will sin against liberty, if you will. You allow the the socialists, you allow the the extreme leftism that exists. You allow the the alphabet soup that we see. You allow whatever uh, that's going on, the woke corporations, the Disneys and all that. You let them do what they're doing, but you do what Project Veritas is doing. You do what Daily Wire has been doing, Christopher Rufo, and, and some of these other individuals that are out there. They're great at exposing the truth that the other side is speaking. So amplify it. Let them know that we're paying attention and you win just by simply shining a light. You don't have to scream to the high heavens about it. You just need to make sure that you let them speak. You don't have to speak for them. Let them speak. They're really good about getting in front of a camera. They're really good about going on TikTok. Why does libs of TikTok exist, right? right. It exists because they can't help themselves. So let them speak. Talk to me. I mean, the next one says supporting those that don't insult you. I want to spend less time on that. I want to talk about the next one, though, being prepared. That's going to mean different things to different people. Give me your take on, on what it means to be prepared. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people are going to go down the prepper route, and that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is being spiritually prepared, um, but also having conversations with the people that are close to you and also a personal recognition that you might – you might be ostracized from society. You might be different. And, and I use the line, I don't know if you've seen seen the show called The Chosen, um, but there's a very famous line, get used to different. Yep. Jesus talks to Matthew and says, get used to different. And, and that it's such a, it, it touched me to my core. You have to get used to different. You have to be prepared to know that you're different. And you have to be prepared to suffer potentially, but know that the path of liberty is is the right path forward. And the suffering might come in the form of we lose liberty before it, it comes back. Um, but we have to be unafraid to, to do these things, but you have to think through that. You have to prepare yourself, your family. You have to have those conversations and you have to be okay letting go of some people in your life too. You really do. Um, your your circle might be smaller than the thousand people you have as Facebook friends, right? Maybe it's now fifty people. So what? 
Um, be prepared to know that things are going to be different for you and be okay and comfortable in that uncomfortability, if you will. T.K. Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education made an observation the other day that just really rang true. And, and essentially what he said was, if you're not prepared to be hated, you're not ready for freedom. And that's, that's just the truth of the time that we live in. If you're going to stand for it, you will be made to suffer for your beliefs. But I, the message I hear you giving, and I agree with it wholeheartedly, is it's okay. It's, it's part of the price of being a free people, and we should be willing to, to bear that and set the example for other people and show that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be misunderstood or marginalized or shouted down because you know what you're standing for. And this, this leads us to the next point, and that is being educated or to educate yourself. Talk to me about how that process occurs. I, I think number one is, is understanding what the Declaration of Independence said, what the founders were saying in the Federalist Papers, what the... Because the, we had a battle over what type of government we were going to have, right? And, and a lot of people believe in, in small versions of Republican government. Others believed in more centralized versions. This fight happened in the 1780s, and it's still happening today. Um, so the education that has to happen is, is more of an inner education. It is really just looking at your soul. What values, what principles, what things do I hold dear and then letting go of the rest. Um, and, and you might have to do that. Uh, I really believe that it is an inner education. And then it's thoughtfulness over where do we go? How do we make liberty and or tweak it? Tweak the American Republic a little bit to make it work for more people. Because the reality is that something is broken. Whatever you think is broken, is liberty the answer to it? I would argue nine times out of ten it is. It really, really is. More liberty is going to lead to more personal freedom, which leads to more of a communal freedom, if you will. And um, so it's just being intentional and really thinking through your daily actions and, um, and how do you if affect liberty in your own life so that others can see it in practice. Andrew, I know you don't advocate people lone wolf McQuaid their way through all this on their own. You talk about the difference between forming fellowships and not coalitions. Help, help me understand that. Yeah, fellowship is what the Sons of Liberty were. Okay, they might have had disagreements over New England township style republicanism versus centralized republicanism. They may have had differences in what type of Protestant religion they might have held at the time or or beliefs but they were committed to core principles together. And coalitions are people who might have one, maybe two things that they might have in common, right? Um, so for instance, there might be people who are pro-life in the democratic movement, but they are also socialists in their other viewpoints. That's great for the pro-life coalition, but can you be a fellow? Do you have things that you can coalesce around no, you don't share core values. So fellowship is is understanding those people who hold core values like you do and uplifting them in, in practicing fellowship. Maybe that's meetings in your community. Maybe that is, you know, gathering at your home and, and having that kind of fellowship. I think that's vital because a lot of us will feel alone at first, right? Everybody, I think, in the last couple of years has felt that at some level. And, and so I talk about uh, forming a fellowship of those who 
hold liberty and its principles to things like free markets, the things like um, personal freedom and natural rights and self-governance, if they hold those things in common, that's a fellowship. They, you can disagree about how, but holding those values, find yourself people who think like you in that term. You don't have to agree on everything, but the core is what is important. Okay, again, we have been talking with Andrew Coppins. The website is revivingliberty.com. Andrew, I wish you the very best on this. In fact, I really would like to have you come back as a guest and and continue to explore some of these in, in more detail. Thank you so much for taking the time to create this, and thanks for spending some time with me and my listeners today. Thanks for having me. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. You know, I don't think I do this enough, but uh, I need to thank you. And I mean sincerely thank you for being among uh, my audience members. I don't know how many wrong thinkers there are out there. I know there, there are some of us. It could be a few. It could be many. A lot of people probably keep it under their hats because, I don't know, we don't like to be called names. We don't want to be thought of as, you know, some kind of uh, crazy kooks. But that's what people think when you go against the grain. And anyway, I'm, I'm glad you're part of this show. Thank you for listening. If you find something that hits the right nerve, I would ask you, please share the message with a friend. Let them know, hey, there's a guy out there who shares information that's actually relevant and helps me better understand the world, as well as what I can do to make the world a better place. Now, before I go any further, I want to take a quick moment here to thank one of my sponsors, that being Garage Door Pros. You can go to their website, Garage Door proservices.com. I actually have a link there in my show notes at the show.com Why should you choose them? Well, a couple things. They do professional garage door installs, maintenance, and repairs, both in Utah and in Nevada, also covering Colorado City. So for my friends in that southwest corner of Utah, it's, uh, it's a great place to go for not only residential needs, but also for commercial needs. And something that you'll notice if you go to their website and you <clears throat> click on the reviews, You're going to see over and over again, their customers talk about how, hey, these guys show up when they say they will. I don't know if that's something that if you've ever had to deal with, wow, well, they said they'd be here between eight and five and, you know, here it is 930 at night and they still aren't here. Nope. Garage door pros. They show up when they're supposed to. They'll let you know that they're close by when when they're arriving. Um, And they have that attention to detail. They really take care of their customers. I hope you'll do business with them if you have the opportunity to do so. All right, I want to jump into a topic here that uh, just kind of touched my heart, if only because this is something I try to practice, and and sometimes I see it happening to me, and that is an unexpected call from a friend just to lift your spirits. I think I've mentioned this before on the show, and please, I'm I'm not bragging, I'm not telling you, I'm a great guy because I do this. I just, I have found happiness in when I'm going about my business and somebody's name pops into my head. And it could be somebody I haven't spoken to in quite some time. But if their name pops into my head, I try to make a conscious effort to just reach out to them. Sometimes it's with a phone call, sometimes a text, sometimes an email. But I reach out and just tell them, hey, I've been thinking about you and wondered how you're doing. 
And more times than not, they'll say, wow, you know, this is, I really needed that caller. That was really good timing. And, you know, I'm not going to take credit for it. I think personally, I think God puts people's minds and puts people's names into our mind or into our heart. And that's, uh, you know, kind of, that's a prompting for us to do something about it. Well, now, I'm pleased to tell you there's a, there's a little uh, backup here. Actually, a psychological study that confirms unexpectedly reaching out to a friend is more appreciated than people assume. In fact, the more surprising the reaching out, the more people tend to appreciate it. This is an article from Psych News Daily. And it says, people consistently underestimate how much others appreciate it when someone in their social circle unexpectedly reaches out to them. This is a study that was published in the uh, July 11th Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And it's, to me, the interesting part is the more surprising that reaching out is, the more people tend to appreciate it. So if you're reaching out just because, now you can know there is actually research showing that maintaining social connections is good for both mental and physical health. But despite the importance and the enjoyment of social connection, this new study suggests that people significantly underestimate just how much other people appreciate being reached out to. Now, to reach this conclusion, the study's authors conducted a series of experiments involving more than 5,900 participants. And they were trying to explore how accurate people are at estimating how much others might appreciate an attempt to connect. So in one experiment, uh, half the participants were asked to recall the last time they reached out to someone in their social circle, just because, or just to catch up, after a prolonged period of not interacting with them. Participants were then asked to indicate on a seven-point scale, one being not at all, to seven being to a great extent, how much they appreciated, or how much they imagined, rather, that the person they contacted felt appreciative, thankful, pleased, or grateful for the contact. The other half of the participants was asked to recall a similar situation where someone reached out to them, and they also indicated on that same seven-point scale, one being the lowest, seven being the highest amount of appreciation, how much they appreciated, felt grateful, felt thankful, or felt pleased by the contact. And the participants who were asked to recall reaching out thought their gesture was significantly less appreciated than those participants who recalled receiving a communication. Now, researchers refer to this disparity as a robust underestimation of how much other people appreciate being reached out to. I mean, this I'm not saying this is rocket science, but doesn't that kind of make you feel good to know that hearing from an old friend is just one way to help make people feel happy and grateful? Now, these theoretical results actually hold up in the real world. In other experiments, participants send a short note or a note and a small gift to someone in their social circle, and specifically, someone with whom they had not interacted for quite a while. Similar to the previous experiment, participants who initiated contact were asked to rate on a seven-point scale the extent to which they thought the recipient would appreciate, feel grateful for, or pleased by the contact. And then after the notes and gifts were sent, researchers also asked the recipients to rate their appreciation. And once again, the results showed that those who initiated the communication significantly underestimated the extent to which recipients would appreciate the act of reaching out. And this is where it gets interesting. The researchers also found a variable that affected how much a person appreciated that reach out, and that was how surprising the contact was. They found that people receiving the communication placed far greater emphasis on the surprise element 
And this heightened focus on surprise was in turn associated with higher appreciation. Now, you're probably nodding your head and going, okay, well, this makes sense. No, I, I appreciate it when people reach out to me, either with or without a gift. I appreciate it when people just say, hey, I was thinking of you. So why don't we do it more? Well, the, the article points out it's intimidating. That's why. People are fundamentally social beings. We enjoy connecting with others. That's according to lead author Peggy Liu of the uh, University of Pittsburgh. As she points out, people lose touch with others over time. Be they friends from high school or college or coworkers you used to see more frequently before work went remote. And initiating social contact after a prolonged period of disconnect can feel intimidating because people worry about how such a gesture might be received. But the present study suggests that such hesitations may be unnecessary, as other people are in fact much more likely to appreciate being reached out to than people assume. In fact, Lou said she sometimes pauses before reaching out to people in her social circle for a variety of reasons, saying, when that happens, I think about these research findings, and then I remind myself that other people may also want to reach out to me and hesitate for the very same reasons. She says, then I tell myself that I would appreciate it so much if they reached out to me. And so there's no reason to think they wouldn't similarly appreciate my reaching out to them. Now, as the researchers point out, staying socially connected can be challenging. Modern life is not set up to facilitate a serendipitous social connection with one's friends and acquaintances. So that means staying connected sometimes requires at least one person having to take the initiative to reach out. And that becomes all the more complicated the longer the period of non-contact has been. Now, the researchers said for those treading back into the social milieu with uh, caution and trepidation, feeling woefully out of practice and unsure, our work provides robust evidence and an encouraging green light to go ahead and surprise someone by reaching out. In doing so, they conclude that person is likely to be more appreciated or that action is to be more appreciated than you would think. Pretty cool stuff. And, and why am I encouraging this? I mean, like, this is, this is kind of a feel-good story, isn't it? Well, it is. And I didn't have pictures of puppies or kittens to share with you. So actually, the reason I'm sharing this is because I know that people like me struggle sometimes with just the magnitude of the challenges that we're facing right now. Economically, politically, culturally, spiritually, you can feel things are just, they're, they're off. And that's pretty consistent with the kind of overlapping crises that we're experiencing, particularly if you're familiar with that uh, fourth-turning methodology. So I guess that's a fancy way of saying people are feeling stressed or they're feeling anxious or they're, they're feeling down or at least uncertain. This is a very easy time for people to feel overwhelmed and maybe even a little bit isolated. This is something you and I could do. Not going to cost us a dime. It may cost us a few minutes, okay, so if time is money, maybe it'll cost you a little bit. But it's something very, very simple, and I, I think the key here is it's far more appreciated than we tend to realize. So if it will make your day when someone unexpectedly calls up and just rattles your cage, tells you that they were thinking about you, maybe consider doing that yourself. I would especially recommend this if you find yourself in a funk and maybe feeling a bit overwhelmed at times. It's not going to solve the world's problems, okay? It's not going to make them all go away, but it will give you a momentary reminder or perhaps a lingering reminder of the little things we can do to make the world a slightly brighter place. 
And when it happens to you, you'll appreciate it that much more because now you know. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to mention a couple of my sponsors and encourage you to visit the links that I provide to them on my show notes page at thebrianhydeshow.com. Those sponsors would include lifesavingfood.com as well as hslammo.com. I think their names should be pretty self-explanatory for what they have to offer you. And I think the timing is probably pretty good as well. They're wonderful sponsors. They have done a lot to help keep me on the air and out there speaking truth as best I can. So I'm asking you, if, if you find value in this program, please consider doing business with them. Again, that's lifesavingfood.com and hslammo.com. Just check out the links provided in today's show notes. So I'm going to touch on three quick topics here in this segment. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, the first two are from offguardian.org, which is a wonderful resource of information. Man, they've got some great writers. And and these are kind of t- tough topics, so I'm just going to dive right in. This is controversial, but I'm going to jump right in there. This is an article from Lucy Davies. Protect your children because the Great Reset is coming for them. You knew it was coming for you, right? You'll own nothing and be happy. Eat those bugs, you know. Prepare to give up ownership of everything. Well, they're keeping their eyes on your kids, too. She says, forgive the grim opening to this, but children are now being taught about masturbation at school ages three through six. And here's the kicker. Parents are being told these lessons are compulsory. Not grooming, not sexualizing children, not insanely creepy and inappropriate, but compulsory. Call it a conspiracy all you want, but there's a very dark, heavy agenda at play, and this is part of it as is the gender confusion indoctrination and the virus fear indoctrination and misplaced sense of responsibility and the climate fear indoctrination, manipulation and guilt bashing and the need for a convenient cashless society indoctrination and the be kind at all costs indoctrination and the fear to stand up against the norm, however screwed up it is because the herd will leap on you like an angry pack of pre-programmed hyenas and you'll deserve everything that's coming to you indoctrination. And, of course, the war propaganda indoctrination and the rest of the horse crap we're being bombarded with from all directions. Lucy Davies says it's all coming into schools for a reason, more and more, and it's not even covert or insidious anymore. She's right. You have drag queens looking like plastic sex dolls reading stories to four-year-olds and parents who are too kind and liberal to say, get away from my child. People injecting children with experimental drugs created by known criminals to save the elderly who've already had five of the bloody things. Teachers regurgitating government fear porn to children because it's on the curriculum. Kids being dressed up in whatever colors are in keeping with the latest propaganda push. Doesn't matter what you or they think as long as it's in keeping with the one thing. Has it ever been louder? Has been going against it ever been less popular? Have we ever been more mindlessly obedient and afraid to question authority? And if so... She asked, where did we learn that? In fact, she says, I often wonder what it'll take for this to end, to cause the snap. Will it be when someone's child allows themselves to be raped because they didn't want to offend, particularly if the perpetrator happens to be from a fashionable minority group? Or because they'd grown up in a world where the adults automatically did what they were told, 
and it gradually allowed the word no to devolve out of their collective vocabulary because just, because science, because be kind, or because authority, or because why would they do that? Like there's anything kind about what's happening quietly to our children. Well, we continue to act out our Oscar-worthy performances of everything's normal here on planet Earth, pretending every single day. Now, she says it's all been planned for such an eerie length of time. The effort that's been put into it is beyond comprehension. Which feeds right into the hands of, oh, come on, really? Groupthink. Like, could it possibly be that sinister? Surely it's just a coincidence after another coincidence or whatever they said on the news. Drip, 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 wear us all down. They need us to become so fatigued that we stop talking, we stop feeling, we stop trying. Lucy Davies says, I see this now, a lot. And it's what I felt too, like we're waiting for something. Like this toxic steamroller of doom will just turn around and leave us all alone. Because why? Because it all got too weird. And the weird became the norm. We don't even know if the weird is seen, let alone seen as weird. And if it's, as, if it's seen as weird, then where in the heck is the normal reaction to weird? Where are people going, what the heck? Did they break? Did their dial of uh, what the crud is going on, was it removed? She says, we appear to be in either blissful ignorance, defiant denial, or stuck in, well, we tried, defeated apathy. She says, I've certainly been in and out of the latter. But while we're waiting, denying, giving up, or pretending, we're rolling over and we're letting them do this to our children. And this crap they're throwing at us via the media, which we have the power to turn off, they're throwing it into schools like never before, straight into their malleable minds, setting them up for life. They don't have the power to turn it off, but the buck stops with us. Now, there's much more to this article, but I would really recommend, if you want to make a stand... It's very good to make a stand where your kids are concerned. And as Lucy Davies says, push back. Don't be scared to stand against it. Push back. Trust your feelings. If if you think that's harmful, I don't want my kids being taught this. It's time to push back. Okay, shifting gears. Here's another article again from OffGuardian.org. This is from Cat Black, Ukraine in the time of COVID. Can we trust the horizontal conflict in the post-pandemic age? And, and this is not so much an article about Ukraine as it's an article about how horizontal conflict narratives are used to keep the people who are really pulling the strings, the, the, uh, the policymakers, the influencers, the financiers of, of much of the controversy in today's world, carefully hidden because we're frustrated and focusing on some conflict that, that we've been thrust into that's really not of our choosing. Cat Black says, horizontal conflict narratives for centuries have been a major part of how elites control their, their populations. And think about this historically. Catholic versus Protestant, Muslim versus Christian, black versus white, male versus female, gay versus straight, etc. This is a tried and trusted method of channeling frustrations, shaping minds, and keeping people's minds off the real authors of their misfortunes. Now, behind the facade of conflict... The elites have always shared a common bond of mutual interest. Kings mostly knew to honor the divinity of other kings, even in defeat. Even when they killed each other, they did it reluctantly and under the guise of natural causes. They knew their own populations were the real common enemies 
against which they knew to make common sense. So war was just another method of achieving this as well as gratifying some degree of personal pride. Well, the truth is nothing much has changed in the modern era. And a great deal of the legacy media's media's energy has been devoted to helping conceal the reality of the big supranational club that we ain't in. Until recently, that is, when they made a huge error of judgment by the world's leaders when they chose to abandon the carefully maintained horizontal divisions narrative in favor of some new age, new normal narrative of international solidarity and cooperation to beat the virus. Yeah, they were clearly going for some Independence Day type hug fest psychic effect, humanity falling into each other's arms and deciding to work together in a World Health Organization created mutual new normal benevolence to defeat an invisible enemy that will, of course, never be defeated. And it didn't go over as planned. Why? Well, they just tried to sell it too hard, too fast, and they blew it. Gordon Brown reacting to a few hundred COVID deaths by saying, we need a new world government. Said, Not yet, Gordon, too soon. How about Goldfinger Schwab in his stupid book of happy peasant delusional raving? Insane overkill on the nothing will ever be the same meme based on a few flu cases. Those pics of people falling over backwards because of COVID in China. And of course, all our lovely leaders being seen at their international junkets, ignoring their own mask rules, except for the flunkies, while forcing their populations into isolation and psychological torture. Pretty powerful uh, article here. Again, I'm just scratching the surface, but you really should take a look at it. And keep in mind that uh, recognizing these horizontal divisions benefit the, the ruling class. They don't benefit us. And when it comes to, to the ruling class, you know, you need to support the people who are standing for freedom. Not the people who are standing for a new order or a new normal. Cat Black says... I suggest we stop being diverted and deterred, remember the lesson of 2020, and continue on the path of personal and collective awakening that they're doing their best to lure us from. Two magnificent articles. You can check them out in my show notes at thebrianheightshow.com. In fact, there's a third one I didn't have time to get to, but if you've been following the Ray Epps saga concerning January 6th, this was the guy who was there in Washington, D.C., urging people not just to go to the Capitol, but to go into the Capitol. Well, the New York York Times wrote a very sympathetic puff piece on what a tragedy it is that he's the victim of a conspiracy theory. (laughs) As if we didn't see him and hear him in his own words, urging people to go into the Capitol. They really think we're dumb. This is The Brian Hyde Show.